excuse me for my voice, but I have never, never seen anything like it. Hey, Doug, we wanted to hit mailboxes, we could let Ralph drive. Morons, your bus is leaving. Welcome to this USC edition of the On the Road Home podcast. This is Ken Crawford reporting to you on the long drive home. Coming up by 5 from uh, Los Angeles. It is a late Monday evening. We made a weekend trip of it. Uh, went to Disneyland as well as had the exciting ride of uh, being in Memorial Stadium for, excuse me, Memorial Coliseum. For the big upset the Bears pulled this weekend. Quick recap. The game started out as a defensive struggle, but there was a definite feeling that the USC line was imposing itself on both sides of the line. And Cal was uh, holding in there, but, but just not doing quite enough. And a few plays broke in the first half that allowed USC to get two touchdowns. They were up 14 nothing at the half, and things looked very bleak for the Bears. But everything turned significantly in the third quarter. The Bear defense stiffened. And on a third and 13, USC snapped the ball over its quarterback into the end zone for a safety on quite a wild play that had to be reviewed and uh, checked a number of different ways. That resulted in a short field for the Bear offense. They drove down the field. Beautiful pass from Garbers to Wharton for their first touchdown. Up now nine to, or excuse me, uh, still trailing nine to fourteen after the safety and touchdown. Next drive, USC throws a interception that uh, was a well jumped route by the uh, Cal defender number twenty two. I'm forgetting exactly who that is, but uh, jumped really did a great job of jumping in front of the route. And uh, getting the ball, putting up another short field for the Bears. This time, a mix of run and pass gets it down. And then a a four-yard option play that Garbers keeps into the end zone for a second touchdown. Bears up 15-14 with the choice of a a two-point conversion to make it three. Go for the two-point conversion. Fail. It's now late third quarter. Bears up 15-14. But then drive after drive after drive, four drives in a row, USC tries to move the ball and the Bear defense has everything it needs to stop them. Not once did it look like USC was going to put together a significant drive. Sets up a situation very similar to the Washington game. Cal gets the ball back with four and a half minutes left. Clearly tells the offensive line, you win this game by opening up the holes for Laird to get his four yards up four yards a pop more or less do that with some trickery to help the bears get it done they drive wind down the clock bears win 15 14 so much to talk about in this one it really was a wild affair such a great game to be there Uh, it was so bleak at the half we didn't know what to to <laughs> if we were going to stick it out for the whole game. It was starting to get a little cool for Los Angeles. 
But then, of course, such a joy to be there when the Bears turned it around. Such grit from the defense. Really, the the game ball goes to them for keeping USC uh, so bottled up. A, a lot of things I want to go over tonight. Uh, partly because I got a lot of time. Or we're still more than four hours from home. Something that doesn't get talked about a lot at USC is... The field conditions. USC plays on natural grass, but they play on a ground, a a field that is sunk well below the surrounding uh, field uh, ground level. The stadium was dug out, of course, for the Olympics in the 20s or early 30s. But then later on, when it became used for mostly football, they dug it another 10, 15 feet deep. Uh, you can notice this when you're looking at the stadium. There's a 5, 10, or 10 to 15 rows of chairs at the bottom of the stadium that are a lighter red than the ones above them. So this field is dug way below the water table. And so it is always a wet field. It doesn't matter if it has been a dry fall. It's just always wet. When I used to do reporting, you'd go down there. The field was always wet. And one thing I noticed in the first half was the Bears were having trouble with traction. In fact, both of the touchdowns were the results of uh, DBs having trouble with their footing and not being able to correct. It wasn't like they had a full slip, but they just weren't able to bite and turn like they hoped. The first touchdown, brilliant play, actually. The uh, the wide receiver was out on one side, went flying across the formation to the other side. The DB followed, and right when he got to the middle, so they was obscured by the offensive line, or both lines, frankly, he makes a big U-turn and comes the other way. So that puts the DB at a huge disadvantage. He's reacting late. They uh, Doesn't really slip, but again, can't turn around quite as fast as the wide receiver who knows what he's doing. Hike the ball you know, in rhythm so that the, there's no chance for the DB to really catch up. Right on time throw into the end zone. Beautifully designed play by USC. And I think, in part, takes advantage of the fact that they know that they have a field where traction isn't very good, and they can take advantage of that. This, this is a little hidden reason why USC has such a strong home field advantage. But one thing I noticed in the second half was that seemed to have gone away. The Bears seemed to have, in some sense, adjusted for the field. I'm curious if at halftime they switched cleat depths, that they went to their tallest cleat, uh, you know, deepest, highest, longest spike cleats that they have. Maybe also they just had some coaching in the locker room to, you know, to remind them how to get the best footing. But something seemed to change in the second half, and they seemed to be better prepared to... Uh, for the field conditions. And I'm wondering if part of what they did at halftime was switch the length of their cleats. No reporter mentioned anything like that, at least as far as I'm aware, but it's an interesting question I'd uh, love to see posed. Um, Maybe if someone from California Golden Blogs is listening, something you could ask at uh, this week's press conference. Another little interesting note that I've seen now game after game after game 
When that Cal defense gets their first interception, it has such an impact on the opposing quarterback. The games where the offense, the opposing offense has seemed to have a little rhythm early in the game, it seems like they did a really good job of studying all the Cal defensive schemes and structures and felt like they had a good handle on all the different ways we bring pressure, we drop different guys back, all the things that Cal does that makes it difficult to be a throwing quarterback. But then that interception happens. Something happens that they weren't anticipating, they didn't expect, and from then on, there's just that little extra hesitation, uncomfort, uh, distrust in what's happening, and it seems to make such a big difference for the remainder of the game. I, we saw it with Washington. Uh, we saw it, uh, frankly, with uh, WSU. What did WSU throw an interception? I don't remember. But in any case, we've seen it a few times this season where the opposing offense seemed to have some rhythm, but then after the interception, that rhythm went away because the quarterback just no longer had confidence. One of the great things about a great defense is they keep the the QB guessing, and that pick is such a big thing. I always feel so good when that first pick happens, and sure enough, same thing with USC. Rhythm of the quarterback went down substantially after that first pick. On to the other side of the ball. How good was it to finally see a game without number five, Mr. McElwain, <laughs> playing quarterback? Garbers had it from uh, first snap to last, and that's exactly what this team needed. You, It just felt like the team was able to get into a better rhythm. Uh, of course, there weren't the mistakes that come along with McElwain. And I don't feel like they were losing anything when it come, came to their ability to, to run or to, to have deception or anything like that. In fact, if anything, although both of them ended up being for naught, Garbers had far better runs than McElwain did all season. Why? Because the defense wasn't expecting him to run. Now, one of them was you know, called back on a holding pal penalty that looked valid uh and the other he got stripped as he was going down very marginal call replay didn't wasn't willing to overturn the call i don't know that that was necessarily a bad decision on the replay they didn't seem to have a lot of good angles on it but it sure seems to me like the refs should not have called it the way they did it sure seems to me they should not have called it that way he was definitely moving down when the ball uh came out and and so that was really frustrating and then the replay booth was kind of had their hands tied and not being able to just go with what seemed to be true they had to wait for conclusive evidence which you know that's the way the cookie crumbles but nevertheless two long garbers runs that did not come to pass because uh, of you know minor things but point out that garbers can run but let's go back to that point of the offensive line on the first drive or on the final drive of the game. Twice now this has happened because frankly the the offensive line was not doing a great job against a pretty sturdy USC defense. It's not a criticism of the offensive line, but when Laird was running up the middle, it wasn't he was having a hard time finding holes. And I think the play calling was fair. They It was appropriate to stick with it. The game was close enough. It was pro appropriate to stick with it as they did. Um, 
But you, you just looked at those. Okay, we got four and a half. I think it was 450 when they got the ball. You just think, no, they're not going to be able to run it up the middle and make it happen. And not all the plays were. There were a number of plays that were of a different style. Uh, but most, many of the plays were runs up the middle. And they just seemed to have that extra umph when they knew the line was, the game was on their backs that they had to open the holes for Laird and he would push through to get that one or two extra yards he needed to make it happen. They did it. And I'd love to see them find that determination for four quarters. But nevertheless, they've got it done at the end when it counted. But kind of as a tangential point, one of the things that really worked was even though many of the plays were those runs up the middle, there was just enough of other plays, other things going on, the roll, the, the run that turned into a rollout uh, that Garbers then ran for the first down and came up just a hair short, another marginal replay call, nevertheless. Uh, but in any case, great play call. Definitely had the defense confused. Definitely kept the defense just enough on their heels on fourth down. Doing that, not what you expect, every three or four plays, something that, that is safe enough that hopefully still going to get a few yards and keep the clock running is so necessary. And I thought it was a good, they did a good job this game, as they did with the Washington game, of having just enough of the other kinds of plays to keep the defense honest, to allow Laird that chance to get the three and four yards up the middle of the other plays. There was also the catch, of course, uh, well, turned out to be not a catch, um, but similar type of thing. There was that one throw down the sideline that uh, really I don't think the defense was well prepared for. Speaking of which, I didn't catch what USC number it was, but what a freaking idiot getting a personal foul for jawing on the sideline, on the Cal sideline, when it's third, <laughs> and it just finished third down on a play that was going to the replay booth as he committed the penalty. I, You could argue that guy cost USC the game. There was three and a half minutes left at that point. All he needed to do was not get that foul. Cal has to punt with three and a half minutes. Now, I think the Cal defense holds. They've, they'd held for four possessions at that point of after Cal had taken the lead. No reason to believe that was going to stop. Uh, the blitzing schemes and everything that they were throwing at USC had them completely fat, flabbergasted. Um, I think they could have held it for a fifth one if they needed to. However, that was the moment that Cal only got one more first down after that uh, that mistake. And what an idiotic mistake. It is so nice when it's the other team that gives us that kind of gift, and it's not Cal shooting themselves in the foot with those kinds of plays. So I just I can't believe that he did. It was I mean, it's such a critical moment in the game, and to do that, what an idiot. <laughs> but thank God, Cal got it. So, you know, that's not... Not for us to worry about. That's what uh, uh, Clay Helton and the USC coaching staff needs to work on. Speaking of that final first down, the one that sealed the game, it ended up actually being a good thing that the refs didn't call it a uh, a first down. They needed the fourth and one 
to continue the drive. And the reason was, without that, they couldn't have taken a knee. There was 240 left when all of that happened. With with all the timeouts gone, they needed, uh, you, can, you can blow about 215, 220. But because they had to go for fourth down, that gave them one more down to, to run down the clock. And so it was now approximately two minutes when uh, after the first down. So therefore, they could just take a knee and end it. But um, it so it ended up being to Cal's benefit, even though, of course, they had to deliver on that fourth and one and Laird sure, and the offensive line sure did. It was a great uh, set of blocking that, that got him through and, and they got the first down. Uh, in fact, I was really surprised. I, I actually want to go back and look uh, at the detail of uh, blocking scheme and and it'd be good to know how different it was than the blocking schemes they were using earlier in the game because it wasn't, you know, outside. It wasn't something fully unique, but it was clear that USC was not thinking that set of blocking schemes and and were able to be pushed around by the Cal offensive line uh, in a way that really surprised me. Maybe the offensive line just executed perfectly, uh, but it also felt to me like USC was just one click behind on that one, and it wasn't what they were quite expecting. So, again, another wonderful little kind of turn of the events that that actually helped the Bears, uh, even if it seemed like at first blush that wasn't to their advantage. Turning the topics yet again, a little bit of a thought after the game. Because it's such an emotional high to go to a road game like that. But I've also felt the very emotional lows of going to a road game where it it turns out very poorly. Uh, Arizona 2008 sticks out in my mind. UCLA 2011 sticks out in my mind. I'm forgetting which uh, Utah game it was <laughs> the, that we made the trip out. Uh, that may have been 2010 or 2011. In any case, it's a form of emotional gambling because I don't have any control of the output. I'm putting in my money, if you will, in the sense that uh, uh, you know I'm paying for my tickets and all of that, and I'm hoping to get out this very emotional high. But frankly, no control over whether I get that or a very emotional low. And it, it's, it was a weird thought to me that, that it, it's an odd form of kind of, uh, you know, if gambling is not so much about the actual winnings, the actual money that you get out of it, but more the emotional joy of receiving the, the winning. Uh, and, you know, casinos have long ago figured that out, that that's what they're about, that they're about that feeling and making that a feeling addicting and, and really wanting it. It seems like perhaps there's, and I, and I don't mean to besmirch sports entirely, but it seems for the highly dedicated fan, there is a similar relationship going on where you desire so much those emotional highs uh, that you're willing to gamble the emotional lows to, to uh, have them happen. Uh, but, I guess I shouldn't complain on a week where the the bet paid off uh because what a what a wonderful trip. The good news was because it was a combined trip for us and and maybe this is one of the ways I've learned to kind of thwart this problem. We went down for Disneyland, the whole family came along. Uh 
if the Bears had lost, it would not have been the same kind of blow that that if it had been a game I'd just gone down for uh, that game. So let's look forward now. Uh, of course, the big thing with this win is the Bears are now officially bowl eligible. That is hugely important. That's uh, the extra practice time is is invaluable. It's impossible to to uh, minimize the impact of that, particularly for a team that's that's you know on the upward swing trying to get better. Very important. Also includes some exposure that they wouldn't otherwise get to potential recruits. A lot of opportunities to sell the program on an upward rise because of this. You know, they're they're a team that's headed in the right direction. Another five and seven seasons, harder to sell that. At a minimum, being bowl eligible says, no, we're headed in the right direction. Um, So, so many positives about now being bowl eligible. But they need to go further now. I think really, if they really want to make the next step and and make no mistake, year two is a critical year for a new coach because year one, you can sell the dream, you know, when you're recruiting year two move going into year two, you can sell the dream. But by the end of year two, your recruits want to see something tangible that says, yes, you're doing what you claim to be doing. You need to be moving the the ship in the right direction. And, And admittedly, if you start out, you know, one and 11, and you go to four and eight, that can do it too. But the Bears were kind of a five and seven ish kind of team before uh, they fired Dykes. Five and seven the first season out. Okay, we'll accept that. We can see a much better defense. We can see promise. It's, it doesn't need to actually show up on the field quite yet. But at year two, recruits and everybody need to see it. So getting to six wins, very, very important. But at the same time, getting to seven and five, getting to. Uh, Eight and four, which is very much still on the table, would be a huge move, particularly with the fact that the Bears for sure left one game on the table in Arizona and then also had a shot at WSU. So uh, you, you add those two games to, you know, the last two games that they could possibly win. This could have been a 10 and two team. That's a message you can sell to recruits. These last two games are really, really important. They want to get um, to, to seven and five for sure, beat Colorado, and nothing does more for pumping up the fan base, pumping up the donor base, the money, and everything that goes along with that than beating Stanford. So, in my preview for this week, I talked about how sick I am to losing to USC, which has obviously been a much longer streak than Stanford, but the Stanford streak is also starting to get up into ridiculously long territory where it's been way too long since the Bears have won. I believe it's 2009. Uh, it was the last year they won. So we're we're working on a 10-year streak pra- practically. Need to end that streak this year. Need to end it in Berkeley. Just really, really want that, and the program needs it. And the good news is there's every reason to expect that the Bears can do it. The defense is top-notch. The offense is slowly putting the pieces together. 
Stanford is hurting. They have lots of injury problems. Without Bryce Love, who I don't have the latest data, but there was real reason to believe he won't be playing next week. Uh, as as of about a week ago, you look at how they struggled with teams like Washington and, and Washington State compared to how Cal did. Uh, the one team they did much better against than Cal was USC. They completely shut USC down, but that was in week two. That was a very different moment in both of those two teams' um, season. So hard to draw too many conclusions from that one. But as an overall picture, you look at how Cal's competed against the recent teams versus Stanford. Lots of reasons to be optimistic about Cal winning this one. And they need the same formula that's been working for them the last handful of weeks. Let the defense do their thing. Let the, you know, put the offense in the position where your job is to patiently work on developing your rhythm and getting there when you need it. You don't have to do anything brilliant on the first drive. Just chip away, get your points that you can, and let the defense put you in good situations. Because the USC, excuse me, because the Stanford offense is not very good, and there's a strong reason to believe this defense can keep them, you know, sub-10. I mean, look at what this defense has done the last few weeks. Just completely shut down offenses that are capable of scoring lots of points. The scores have now been 10, 16, and 14 in three consecutive weeks against some of the better offenses. And, you you know, WSU's at 16, the best offense in the conference right now. So they can do it against Stanford. And so it means the offense doesn't have to score a ton of points. A couple of touchdowns might be enough, uh, particularly if they can play keep away a little bit. So that one's definitely on the table. One would be wonderful to see that happen. Colorado is in a free fall right now, and they have to come to Berkeley after Thanksgiving. That's I think that's one of the worst road assignments in in college football. The m- relatively meaningless, uh, in fact, the one reason it might not be meaningless is uh, Colorado may be five and six coming into that game, and and. That they would need the game for bowl eligibility, which from an emotional standpoint, not that this should affect the outcome, but it just puts Colorado in a better position as far as their th- their hopes of their um, determination and drive that's going to make them you know want to win that game because it's a hard game to want to win on the road and a weekend where you want to be home with your family. It's really tough. It's a tough time to play a football game. So, and, and they're in a free fall to begin with. It, it, you know, I, other than the altitude factor, which people who follow me know, I'm a huge believer in how big of a factor going to play at altitude is, and a dis- how much of a disadvantage that is to all the teams that go to Boulder and to to Utah. But this year, uh, so. Even in that situation, I'd still have a lot of hope for the Bears just because of, of where, the trajectory of the two teams. But in Berkeley, after Thanksgiving, Bears need to win that one. It'd be very, very disappointing to me if they didn't. So you go, you win the big game. You're going to be all up for that one. You don't lose your focus. You beat Colorado 8-4. and four. Hard to argue with those results, particularly since they left a couple wins on, this, on the table.
And then also, because of that, the conference record will be pretty good at that point. I think, uh, well, that would put them at five and four. Uh, and so where they'll be in the pecking order as far as bulls will be much higher, too. It, they'll get a much, much better bull, particularly with the carnage that is the South. And they do not look at, uh, you know, relative, um, you know, it doesn't have to alternate north-south, north-south or something as they're selecting. You know, so if all the north teams have better records than all the south teams, they're going to get for the, picked for the Bulls first. Uh, so you could end up seeing Cal in a, you know, maybe not quite, I haven't done the math and all this, but maybe not quite the holiday, but something significantly up there in the pecking order, not the, you know, combined armed forces, uh <laughs> I don't even know some of the names they come up with these days. It's unbelievable. Whatever these bulls are that are just, you know, relatively newly created, totally sponsor-driven, not very um, prestigious bulls that that six and six teams end up at. But you go to eight and four, you end up five and four in conference. You're in the upper half of the teams as far as the pecking order. You're looking at the sun or something like that. So... Lots to be optimistic about, but the team needs to earn it, to use uh, Coach Wilcox's um, catchphrase and terminology. And I'm just very hopeful that it that it pans out, that this, this, this team does deliver on that promise. Been such a wonderful season. It'll do such good things for the recruiting, and which will be very important next year. Uh, and, of course, in final podcasts, I'll talk about looking forward to next season and, and uh, what, what the Bears lose and all of that. So, even though I've got many, many miles to drive, I'm going to wrap it up at this point. I think you'll probably be getting bored. So, <laughs> thanks for listening, and uh, go Bears! On the road again.